When you came in today, you were given this. Let me tell you what that is. Uh, I uh, heard about something called the Advent Conspiracy. Love the idea of it. I hope you're going to love the idea of it. Here's what it is. Every year we spend about, as a, as a, in the world, we spend about $700 billion on Christmas presents. Uh, what would happen if you and I decided we were going to go ahead and give gifts, but we were not going to go into debt doing it? That we were just going to say, man, we're only going to pay cash. We're only going to buy what we can actually afford in the moment. And we're not going to delay the, the payment off for months and months and months. And put ourselves in more and more bondage. I mean, that would cause Christmas to be everything it's supposed to be. About valuing people, but not doing it in a way that puts us in bondage. So what we're challenging all of us to do is let's don't do that this year. Let's just decide that what we're going to do is be more creative and we're going to give gifts that are meaningful and thoughtful but are going to be very, very clearly what we can afford. Now, so maybe you'll give a gift. Maybe you'll decide to do something more creative even and make one or write a letter and, you know, uh, do something like that. And then what else we're going to ask you to do is do this. And the reason I'm talking about it now is before we get way, way, way into the Christmas season. We're going to ask you to think about grabbing this sheet and later on, you'll get an actual catalog that'll explain it better. And, and saying, God, you know what? I'm not only going to not go into debt. I'm going to choose with my family and I or my friends and I or my community group and I. And we're going to do something to touch the life of someone else that we don't even know who can't give back to us. Uh, uh, maybe it would be to buy a cow. There's a way to buy a cow for a village. That would change that village for a considerable period of time. Uh, maybe it would be to do something a part of the baskets of blessing here. So families in this area have food to eat. And, and their, their Christmas and their Thanksgiving are way, way better. Uh, maybe it would be the idea of Angel Tree, which is helping uh, the child of someone who's been incarcerated and touching their life and letting them know someone cares about them. But we want to give you an opportunity to choose to do any of these things. And if you look at the list now, all we're asking you to do is not do one. We're asking you to start praying about it. Pray about Christmas ahead of time. Pray about making it more personal and more uh, intimate with God. Uh, pray about what you could do for somebody else. And you know, you could change a, a life in an amazing way just by agreeing to do that. So we're going to ask you now not to really do anything again other than pray, look at it, ask God to put some on your heart, really pray ahead of time about Christmas and, and make it incredibly meaningful. And so that's where we're headed. All right, I want to ask you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31. If you look in your bulletin, all the verses we're going to look at are listed uh, in the notes section so you can get ahead on that if you choose to. And I think today uh, is going to be a good day. So let's pray together. Father, I do ask that you take this time right now and you open our eyes to you and who you are and your love and your desire, God, for us to have an intimate, wonderful relationship with you. Help us to see that, God. Help us to understand it. Help us to experience it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I uh, have told you before that I love listening to comedians. I think I like it because comedians are very insightful, but they also have a different perspective than we have. Uh, for instance, Mitch Heidberg's a comedian I think is really, really funny. And uh, recently I heard him talking and he said this. He said, you know what? I, I got to tell you, I love to sleep, but I hate dreaming. I mean, here you are, all cozy in your bed and comfortable, and then the next minute, you're building a go-kart with your ex-landlord. <laughs> he said, it just ruins your sleep, you know. 
My, my, probably one of my all-time favorite comedians is Stephen Wright, and I want to share a couple of his. I'm not going to nail him. He's the guy who's very deadpan. You know, he just kind of stands there and, and says things like, I heard him recently say this. He said, sometimes I talk to myself in a foreign language that I do not know. Just to mess with my mind. <laughs> but my favorite one recently, I heard this. He said this. He said, I bought one walkie-talkie. Because I don't want anybody else to hear what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I thought it was funnier than you did. But uh, when he does it, it's really funny. But, but here's what I want to have you think about. How many of us would that describe our relationship with God? One walkie-talkie. In other words, you know, you say, I believe in God. I pray to God. But here's my question. Does he ever speak back to you? Does he ever talk to you? Does he ever guide you? Uh, not too long ago, I had one of these, and this is a little more complex one. And uh, we had a child, and we were trying to get him to work it. And the child kept holding the talk button. And what happens when you hold the talk button? You're the only one able to talk, and you can't get anything back. And so what happened is, is I kept trying to say, you got to let go, because when you let go, something cool is going to happen. You're going to hear somebody you can't even see. And, and, and they still held on and held on. And, and so many times I think as a pastor, I'm trying to tell people, it's good that you talk to God. It's good that you ask him for things. But, but do you ever just let go and say, God, now speak to me. And I want to hear from you. Because isn't it incredible when all of a sudden God begins to do that? This particular walkie-talkie also has an ability to tune frequencies. And that, what does that mean? It means that if you and the other person are on the same frequency, you can hear each other fine. But if you're off a little bit, it gets fuzzy. And if you're off a lot, you can't hear each other at all. And, and what I want to talk about today, and what I want to talk about in the coming weeks, is how do we make sure we're on the same frequency? How do we make sure we connect with God? Because what we've been talking about before is having an amazing committed life with God. But now how do we have this interpersonal relationship with him where we share in intimacy and the reality of the, the relationship is real and incredible and amazing. And we're calling it the divine romance. How do you enter into this amazing romantic relationship with God where, where you're sharing love and you're sharing intimacy and you're connecting in deep ways? See, we talked at the beginning of the year about being a level four Christian. And, and if you're new to us, let me tell you what that means. Level one is where you're asking questions. You haven't committed yet because you're wondering, is there a God? Or maybe you're saying, is the Bible true? Or with so many religions out there, how do I know Christianity is true? And how do I know this is true? And, and, and what about Jesus? And what does it mean to my life? And, and you start exploring all these deep, deep questions. Why was I made? Is there something that comes after me? And, and as you search that out, our belief is that if you seek in a very truthful way, you're going to come to the knowledge that Jesus really is real. And that he wants to have an amazing relationship with you. So we begin by asking questions. Then level two is where we call conversion. That's where you finally commit to Christ. And you say, you know what? I do want to give my life to him. And I know he's real. And I believe in him. And I know that I have sin. And so I'm praying that God would literally erase my sin and heal my hurts. And, and you, you make that commitment. You make that conversion experience. Then level three is where you begin connecting with God. And, and, and that's what we're going to be talking about and, and digging into that. But level four. Level four is where you live the life you were always meant to live. Where you say to God, not my will, but your will be done. 
Where you say to God, I want to be exactly who you made me to be. And if there's anything you want me to do, anything you want me to experience, God, I'm in. No holding back. 100% committed. And by the way, this is the life that is the greatest life you could ever live. This is the life you were made for. And when you begin to live this way, oh, incredible things begin to happen. And you, you actually begin to understand God in a way like you never have before. But when you're a level four person, level three gets more incredible. Why? Because what happens is now we're committing and connecting to God in ways that are so meaningful and incredible. And we're tuning into him. The relationship takes a whole new leap in, in excitement and enjoyment. And, and just knowing him, I mean really knowing him is incredible. And that's what God wants for you. And so we're going to talk about how do we, how do we use the disciplines uh, to connect and, and, and tune into God better. Disciplines like meditation like acts of kindness, dis dis disciplines like Sabbath, uh, uh, or, or praying the names of God. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about how all of those work, and how you do it, and how you tune in, and, and the difference it'll make. But here's the thing I want you to grab hold of. God wants to know you. He wants to know you. Jeremiah chapter 31 is talking about the idea that God's telling Jeremiah and the children of Israel, a new way of relating to me is coming. Before, you've been relating under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, under law. But there's something new coming, something more incredible. It would be ushered in through Jesus. We call it the New Covenant or the New Testament. And when he was speaking about it, let's look what it meant for it to happen. Why was it there? Jeremiah 31 verse 34. They will not again teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. Now, I want to read the whole passage, but let's go back and look at that again. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Why? For they will all know me. You see, when Jesus came and died on the cross, he did die to forgive you of your sins. He did die to heal you of your hurts. But he did those things so he might embrace you in a relationship. So you might be in an intimate relationship where you genuinely know God. Uh, Pam and I just got back from an amazing time in Syracuse, New York with my twin granddaughters. They're three years old. Man, I couldn't wait to go see them. I, I dropped Pam off last Thursday and she flew out ahead of me. And then after Sunday, last, I, I headed out on Monday and spent Monday to Friday back there. And, and I remember calling Pam because, by the way, think about this. They're clear in Syracuse. They don't have Skype because internet connection's not good. Uh, uh, they're not old enough to talk on the phone. So what happens is we go months and months and months without any interaction with them. And all of a sudden, these people that they kind of know about, Papa and Granny, Grammy, show up, and, and we want to hug, you know, but we've learned what we do is we've got to stand back and let them warm up to us. And so the last trip out, you know, I was very intentional about kind of letting them choose to come to me. And I called Pam and I said, how's it going? She goes, Chuck, you're not going to believe it. They know us. They didn't have to warm up. They're going to know you right away. And I, I, you don't know how that feels. I mean, it's like, oh, they really do. And they kept asking when I'm going to get there, when I'm going to get there. And so the day came, and I'm walking up to the house, and I look through the glass, and here these two three-year-olds spot me, and they start jumping up and down, so excited. I'm like, yes. And I throw the door open, and they run to me. And by the way, when you have three-year-old granddaughters, you don't just pick up one. You got to pick them both up. So I've got them both in my arms, and they're kissing me and hugging me, and they know me. They know me. They looked me in the eye and said, Papa, you're going to take us on the carousel. And I said, yes, I am. And they go, Papa, you're going to take us as much as we want. I thought, you know me. Yes, I am. 
and I'm going to buy you pizza, and I'm going to, you know, and, and they want dresses. They get dresses. And, and by the way, they wanted to buy two more Rudolphs, even though they already own two Rudolphs. Who cares? They could have all the Rudolphs they want. And, and by the way, they know me. They know me. And, and, and you know what? I want to know them. And, and they love to listen. And by the way, it was really incredible because I sat in a meal and I prayed and, and I looked up and Caroline goes, do it again. So I prayed again, do it again. And I'm doing it. I, I, you know, I was like, yeah. And, and you know what? I, it's incredible to be able to pour into these girls. And I want to know them and I want them to know me. Now, don't miss this. God wants to know you and he wants you to know him. And he wants to pour into your life. And he does want you to ask for things. I want them to ask for the carousel rides because they're only a buck each. And I, I, I want them to ask for the dresses. And I, I, I love that. And, and you know what, though? I, I also, I, I want them to, to, to share back. I want them to pour back. And so what did they do? They made these little drawings for me. And they gave them to me. And I looked and I'm like, and they go, these are for you, Papa. And we want to give you this. And, and don't you know how that blesses your heart? And I think about this. God says, I want to do that too. The Bible says he's the giver of only good gifts. And it says that anybody who believes in him must come to him by faith, it says in Hebrews 11. And believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. You've got to believe that God wants to bless you if you really are in this relationship. But here's where I want to go more. It's not about believing he's out there. It's about knowing him. And God says, my great desire is a day will come, and we're in it, when no one's going to say, know the Lord. Why? Because my people will know me. See, we know him. And look what it says again in Jeremiah 31, 34. They will not again teach each man his neighbor, each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Why does he do that? Because he wants our relationship to be solid. Why does he do that? Because he wants you to be free. God heals you because he doesn't want dysfunction in how you relate. God forgives you because he wants to wipe out any barrier between you and him. He does it because he loves you. And he wants it to be real and he wants it to be intimate and he doesn't want it to be a one-way conversation. He wants you to genuinely know him. Jesus said that's what this life is all about. In John 17 verse 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He said, I, I want you to know me. Have you thought about how deep he wants to know you, how intimate he wants it to be? We talked last week about Peter Denying Jesus three times. And then Jesus on three, three times asked him, do you love me, to restore him back. Now, many of you have been around long enough to know that there was an interesting play on the Greek word love because there's actually three, really four Greek words for love. And so what happened is Jesus asked Peter, he's looking at him and he, he's already denied him and he wants to restore him. And he said, Peter, do you agape me? Now, the word agape means to love unconditionally. He said, do you love me with an unconditional love? The kind of love I have for you. Now, I hope that you would say this. I hope you could say, I love God unconditionally. If he never answered another prayer, if, if he never uh, uh, gave me another moment of protection, 
If he didn't do anything else, if, if the economy goes under and my life gets difficult, I'm going to love him anyway. It's the prayer of Habakkuk that says that there are no, even though there's no figs on the tree and no cattle in the barns, I still will exalt and love the Lord my God. In other words, I don't have to have all the blessings. I love him so much anyway. And so Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you love me like that? And I hope you would answer, Lord, I love you like that. And then Jesus asked it again. He said, Peter, do you... Do you phileo me? The word phileo is another word for love. But it's a word for a friendship love. He said, I, I, I want to know, do you love me unconditionally? But I also want to know, do you love me as your friend? Now I want to ask you that. Is God your friend? Is Jesus, is he your friend? I mean, is it real? A real friendship that you share together. Jesus wants that badly. In John chapter 15, verse 12, he says this. This is my command that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that one would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now we're going to come back to that. He said we're friends, but it's based on something. Our friendship... It's going to be based on you doing what I ask you to do. Now, he's going to love you no matter what. But the depth of friendship, the depth of connections based on obedience. Then he says this in verse, four, verse 15. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Now, I want to ask you, is that true for you? I, I hope you'd say yes. I hope you'd go, you know what, Chuck, it really is true. God... God has made things known to me I couldn't know other than by him. See, that's what Jesus said. He said, the friendship's so real, I'm going to tell you things that you're only going to know because I'm telling you. It's the answer to the Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me, and I will tell you great and mighty things you do not know. Now, now again, what we need to do is we've got to take the, the, the hand off the talk button, and we've got to do some listening. And we got to be tuned in. And then he says, you know what's going to happen when that happens? Because it's not a religion and it's a relationship. You're going to hear from me. I'm going to prompt you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to open you up to things. I'm going to do it in amazing ways. That's what I want you to experience. That's the great desire of this connection with God where he does that with you. And why are we talking about the disciplines next week and the week after and the week after that? Because they help us to tune into God. They help us to make sure we're connecting. Now, the best way he speaks is through his word. But he says, I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you things you don't know. I'm going to reveal things you aren't aware of. I'm going to share with you. That's the kind of relationship I want to have with you. And, and when you have that intimacy, it's incredible. So I'm going to keep asking the question, do you know him? Do you really know him? Because that's what he wants. And are you experiencing him? Now, if you know somebody, you get ready for this, you know what they like and what they dislike. Uh, uh, I know my wife, Pam. And I know her better today than I've ever known her before. And I know Pam's likes and I know her dislikes. I know it's huge to my wife, Pam, that when she's going to travel, that I actually am the one who drops her off at the airport. And I'm the one who physically picks her up. And I don't send anybody else. And I don't sit outside in the car waiting for her to bring her luggage out and put it in. She's made that very clear. And, and you know what, as, as I know that about her, and, and you know what, I, I love getting to do something that, that causes her to feel valued and treasured. Uh, when you know somebody, one time Pam and I were uh, watching TV together, and we had not been married very long, 
And it was a TV show about a family, and it was the mom's birthday, and, and she was getting gifts from her kids and everybody. And, and then the final gift came from her husband, and her, the, she, he sets it down, and she opens it up and looks inside, and she gasps and pulls out an iron, and she starts to cry. And I'm watching thinking, I don't get it. What's the big deal? And I looked at Pam and I said, I, what's wrong? He gave her a gift. And she goes, no, you never give a woman an iron for her, for her birthday. And I thought, oh, <laughs> note to self, don't give Pam an iron. You know, and I haven't. I've never done that. But, but you know what's interesting is I shared that story a, few, a couple months ago at a men's conference. And a man walked up afterwards. He said, Chuck, he said, that's because you know Pam. But let me tell you what happened. Uh, I was in Best Buy with my wife. We were kind of separated, and I looked over, and she was looking at this one iron. And, and she was admiring the features and actually working in it. And I thought, oh, good, good, good. And so he went back to Best Buy later and bought the iron for her. A couple weeks later is her birthday, and she opens it up, and there's the iron of her dreams. And she's like, oh, you knew. How did you know? And she's kissing him and hugging him and all excited. And, and, and here's why it worked, because he knew her. If I get Pam that exact same iron, I'm not going to get kissed and hugged. And, uh, and, and it really, you know what it is, is do you know the person? Do you know what they like or don't like? Uh, uh, um, years ago, I was teaching in a college study, and after it was over, one of the college girls came in, and she, she looked a little shaken, and she's holding uh, uh, some roses in her hands, and, and I said, what's wrong? And she goes, there's a stalker out there. They left this on my car. Can you, and they, like, she was freaked out. Oh, and I said, I think it's romantic. She goes, no, that's not romantic. And, and she goes, I, I need someone to walk me into my car. I mean, she was freaked. And then a few weeks later, I'm talking to one of the other college girls, and she goes, oh, it's so incredible. I got up this morning and went outside, and on my car were roses and chocolate-covered strawberries and whipped cream. Oh, it was so romantic. And I'm going, how do, how do we as guys win? You know, I... And here's what it is. I know what it is. Is, is girls and, and women, if he's the guy you like, it's romantic. If he's the guy you don't like, he's a stalker. You know, and I mean, right? You know, so yeah. But, but it comes down to something even more is, is do you know the person? Do you know them? See, if you know them, you know what they like and what they don't like. If you know them, you know when you're the right person and not the stalker. Uh, when you know them, you know uh, what you would get or not get. This first girl, by the way, doesn't even like roses. She would prefer wildflowers, uh, which is good for her husband now because she's, you know, cheaper to buy for. And, uh, but, but, but here's the thing. Do you know God? Do you know God? If I were to ask you, what does God like and what does he not like, would you say, I know, I know. And, and let me throw out four thoughts about things God likes. Uh, the number one, uh, one is vitally important. And it might even surprise you a little. God loves that you respect him. God loves that you respect him. And if you don't respect him, there's an issue. Turn to Deuteronomy 10. Make sure and be there. You'll want to see this passage. But, but God is talking to the children of Israel. He's telling them about what he loves and what he doesn't love. And, and he lays it out, I think, so clearly you can't miss it. And, and look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, starting in verse 12. God says, Now Israel... What does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him and serve him 
with your all your with your heart and all your heart and with all your soul and to keep his commandments and his statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. Did you notice what was number one on the list? Does God want you to love him? Oh yes, he loves your love. Does God want you just to worship him? Oh, there's no doubt about it. But did you see what was number one? Number one is I need you to fear me. I need you to fear me. And the idea of fear there is not a fear as in terror. It's a fear as in respect and awe. And that's why in Proverbs 1, it says, the beginning of all wisdom is that you fear the Lord your God. And and, and when you really know God, by the way, when you really know God, then you're going to have respect for him. You're going to have a godly reverence for him. You're going to have what we call fear at this point because being in the presence of God is an awesome thing. Being moved by God is an awesome thing. And God values the idea that you and I would respect him. He values that to to no end. By the way, that's why back when I was doing youth ministry, that was the number one thing I laid on students. And by the way, our Generate ministry has that same admonition today. As a matter of fact, I, I actually would twice a year, I would twice a year do what I call, this is not school talk to our students. Junior high, high school, by the way, even college. And I would say to them, I want you guys to know we love you, but this is not school. And what do I mean by that? It means I can throw you, any of you out of here anytime I want to. Your being here is a privilege. Now at school, they can't get rid of you as easy. But the truth of the matter is, if you don't show respect, we'll put you out fast. And you need to know it. And the kids were always like, what? And that means that when I talk, you don't talk. And it means when I'm teaching, you show reverence to God. It means when we're worshiping, you got to act right. It means you don't destroy the building. You know, and, and I'll never forget when I was here, uh, uh, I had just started and we got a bunch of kids to go to camp and, and some of the peer parents here, some of you actually remember this, uh, I got all the kids on the bus, there were 90 high school students and we thought that was a lot and the parents were all standing outside because I asked them to wait and not leave and to listen to what I was going to say and I got on the bus and I said, all right, before we go, let me tell you because some of you guys are new, that if you're going to go to this camp, we want you to have a blast, but you better go respecting us. And if you're not going to respect us, get off the bus right now. By the way, I want to tell you number two. If any of you have drugs and I find them on you, I don't call your parents. I call the police and we don't flush them and I'll have you arrested. So you better know that. I'm not playing games with you. And all of a sudden, all the parents are cheering, you know. We got to the camp and three or four students rushed to the bathroom and, uh, and dumped everything. By the way, I wasn't playing games with them. And you might say, that seems harsh. And I want to tell you, I don't think it is. And let me tell you why. If a student had a drug problem, we would do anything we could to help them as long as they show respect. If a student had an issue at home, we would do anything we could to help them as long as they show respect. If they do not show respect, we can't help them. By the way, where does that come from? Right here. You don't respect God, it cuts off your relationship. And God isn't playing games with us. By the way, have you noticed it's not the 10 votes or the 10 suggestions? It's the 10 commandments. And he's not playing games with it. The idea that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, there's no game being played here. And and that we don't get to vote on it. We don't get to, to say what we like. And by the way, God doesn't really care if we like it or not. He just tells us how it is. And, and that's because he's God. 
And, and so it starts by respecting him. And if we don't respect him, we have a problem. And that problem is called pride. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, it says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God, now don't miss this, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Did you hear what he said? He said, you know what? I got to tell you something. We need to be clothed in humility. The word clothed there literally means to put on an apron. We need to put on an apron of a slave in humility towards God in each other. Why? Because God is opposed to the proud. The word opposed is from a Greek word that means this, to stand in full battle array against. God said, I could not be more opposed to anybody than anyone who's prideful. That's why it says in Proverbs, the Lord speaks and says, there are six things that I hate, yet seven are an abomination. What's number one on the list? Pride. And God says, if you're going to come to me and be with me, you've got to come right. You've got to come humble. And, and any trick to attempt to connect with him in an intimate way begins with a godly fear and reverence. That's what God demands. That's what he deserves. And that's what, by the way, all of us who know him, we want to do. It's, it's the natural or supernatural reaction of being in an intimate relationship with him. And God says this, he goes, but you know what? If you have that attitude towards me, then you can cast all your cares on me and I'll help you. If you have that attitude towards me, you never have to worry about anything. If you have that attitude towards me, I am going to love you and guide you and equip you and, and show you things that are gonna be amazing. God says, if that's your attitude. So it begins with a godly respect. The second thing I want to hit you with is this. God not only loves that you respect him, God loves gifts. Did you know that? God loves gifts. He really does. And, and the more you study from beginning to the end of scripture, you see that about him. That's just who he is. Uh, so much so that in the Old Testament, when he was laying out the way he wanted to be worshipped, in Exodus 23, he talked about three feasts. And he said, I need everybody to show for these feasts. I need no one to miss. But listen to what he says about it in chapter 23, verse 14. Three times a year you shall celebrate a feast to me. You shall observe the feast of the unleavened bread for seven days. You are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you at the appointed time in the month of Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. Now listen to this next line. And none of you shall appear before me empty-handed. None of you shall appear before me empty-handed. Over in chapter 34, verse 20, he says it again. None of you shall appear before me empty-handed. When you show, you show respectfully. When you show, you come showing appreciation. By the way, uh, uh, this is something that we don't talk a lot about anywhere in the United States. It's this thing called manners. You ever hear about manners? I, 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 I'm not, uh, I hope I'm not a prude, but don't you think we'd be a better society if we showed better manners to each other? You know. So you were probably taught this. If someone gives you a gift, you write a thank you note, Right? Uh, if, if you typically are going to someone's house for dinner, you bring something to give to them. Why do you do that? It's just a sign of appreciation, a sign of respect. And so God says, I want to tell you something. When you come before me, don't come empty-handed. Now, now it, here's why God loves gifts. He loves it that you show appreciation for him. By the way, it happened with my granddaughters. When they came running up with those drawings, here, Papa, we got this for you, and I'm holding it. Man, my heart went out. Now, I'm going to love them no matter what, but man, it meant something to me that they wanted to give to me. 
Now, now, they're, what they gave to me in, in value is nowhere near how much money I'm going to pour back into them. <laughs> Not even close. And I love it. But you know, the thing, thing is true with God, isn't it? Why do we give to him? Not to, to repay him, to show love, to show care. And God loves when you do that. If I were to ask you, where's the purest form of worship ever described? The answer is the tabernacle. God spent 40 days teaching Moses how he wanted to be worshipped in the tabernacle. And by the way, what does the tabernacle revolve around? It revolves around giving gifts to God. And so people would bring their tithes there. But more than that, they would bring offerings. And, and there were actually five offerings that God called for. And I want you to think about these. When you read about them, you may not go, well, why are those there? Well, let me tell you why they're there. The first offering God calls for is called the burnt offering. That's an offering of total dedication to God. The reason the burnt offerings there was the most expensive of the offerings, and from time to time in your life, what you would do is you would go before the Lord your God, and you would say, God, I just want you to know I am for you, I am with you, I am yours completely, no holding back. And it was the only offering that was burned up completely, the most expensive, and they would put it on there, and they would burn it till there was nothing but ashes that showed there was no holding back to God. And so hopefully there are times in your life you say to God, God, I am so committed, no holding back. That was the burnt offering. The second offering was called the meal offering. The meal offering was done to say to God, thank you for all that you've given in my life. Now, that was an agricultural society, so he said, you bring uh, of the first of your produce, and you say to me that beyond anything else, God, you've blessed me. And, and it's a thank you to God for all that he does, and all that he's given, and all the blessings in your life. That's why I, I don't know how you do it, but I can tell you what I do. I... I on Friday, I have an incredible time with the Lord every Friday. And uh, I, I meet with God every day. First thing I do every morning, and so I, no matter what time I'm going to be up, it's always with God first. And, and seven days a week I do that. But, but Friday's a special day because what I do is I sit down with my Bible and my coffee and my journal and my checkbook. And I, I, I mean, I think, I don't know if you can catch how awesome this is. Maybe you do it. And I just sit there and I say, God, you have just keep blessing us. The food I have, the fact I can bless other people, what you've done in my life, God, I'm not just going to give my 10%. I just, I want to give something extra. And I don't ever know how much it's going to be till that moment. And I just sit and I talk to God and I, I pray and, and thank it. And then when I write out that check, it is with such joy. I mean, when we talk about the idea of being a cheerful giver, I love it. And I'm sitting there doing that and I just love the moment with God and he with me. And I just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for how you provided. Thank you for how you blessed. And, and I just want to do this with you. And it's so wonderful and intimate. And, and I know for some of you, you're going, well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. We don't want to hear about money. Rick Warren said this. He said, whenever we talk about giving to God money, he says, the generous smile and the stingy squirm. <laughs> so he said, enjoy both reactions. Uh, but, but let me say this. If you don't want to give to God, don't. No, don't. Now, I'm not saying because he doesn't want it. I'm not saying because he doesn't command it even. I'm saying if you don't love him, don't do it. Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart is also. And it, it, tells, us, it tells you a lot about you. And it tells God a lot about you. But, but if you love him and appreciate him, man, that ought to become one of the great joys of connection. Now, the third offering was called the fellowship offering. The fellowship offering was to be done 
Because God blessed you with relationships. And, and at certain times of the year, you would gather all your family and all your friends and you would go together to the tabernacle and you would have like the Thanksgiving feast of Thanksgiving feasts. And you would praise God for your wife and your children and your mom and your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your friends. And you would thank God that, that he gives you people to love in your life and you would praise God for that. And you would share this amazing celebration of that. And, and it would be incredible. By the way, the, the, the whole idea of that was also carried out in the Sabbath. When I teach you about Sabbath, you need to understand you cannot do Sabbath alone. Uh, you have to.